So we start with like, who are you? <laughs> you know, like really, what is your purpose? See what how uncomfortable your- I got there? I was like, oh God, yeah, who are we? <laughs> this is a big <laughs> one. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan, co-founder and president of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Michael Gervais, best known for his role as psychologist to the Seattle Seahawks and high performance coaching for a slew of famous musicians, Olympians, and Fortune 100 CEOs. He specializes in optimizing human performance through the power of mindset. He's also the co-founder of Compete to Create, a mindset shifting digital platform he launched with Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. I'm eager to chat with him today, learn more about the link between mindset and success. Before we dive in, a reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests of this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Did I say that fast enough? How are you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you. Morgan, thank you for the introduction and thank you for including me in your yeah. community. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just catching up with him before we started recording. We actually have a lot of uh, personal connections in common. So I'm super excited to be sitting down with him on the on the professional athlete front from football to surfing to Fortune 100 CEOs is a whole gamut of it. So tell us how tell us about your earlier career and how did you get here? Okay, so I'll, I'll do a short version of something that is obviously much more textured than what I'm going to share. But I grew up and my first sport of choice, my first love in sport was surfing. And I was, there's two types of surfing, as I know you'll recognize. One is free surfing and the other is competitive surfing. So under the free surfing conditions, like I could do it, you know, like I I was, I grew up in California and I, I had a good command of myself. I'm not saying I was great by any means, but I could do it. And then come competition, I couldn't access it. The stuff that I knew I could do on a regular basis. And just to highlight that I was, uh, let's say I was 16 years old surfing in, it was about head high conditions. It was a competitive moment. There was only three people out perfectly glass 8am in the morning and a, a gentleman. So I was surfing up in my class and a gentleman, um, paddles by me and he says, he's older than me. And he says, Gervais, I surf out here every day with you. You got to get yourself together. He goes, I don't know what you're doing but you got to stop worrying about what everyone's thinking about you. And I thought there for a minute and I was like, that's it. Like one, how does he know it's in my head Two, It is, it's my mind. It's not my physical body. It's not my technical skills. It's the way I'm thinking that was getting in the way of me being able to do my thing. So it set me down this path to say, what is this thing inside my head? And I didn't even know there was a discipline called psychology. Um, Just as a note, no one in my family went to college. And so I was a scrappy kind of kid trying to figure it out. No clue. And eventually I found my way into college and uh, psychology. Once I was introduced to psychology, I was like, that's it. But then here's a problem, Morgan, is that the traditional study of psychology is about the brokenness of the human spirit. And that's the origins of psychology. It was born out of the medical model, which is studying dysfunction. And I couldn't get down with it. I just could not understand spending my life under, you know, trying to understand dysfunction. And I found another um, discipline, subdiscipline inside of psychology, which is really the psychology and the science of excellence and call it sport and performance psychology. And that's how it happened for me. Interesting. And where'd you grow up in California? Yeah. So the South Bay, Hermosa okay, Beach, Redondo Beach, Palos Verdes. Yeah. When you were talking, I'm feeling like 
Dane Reynolds is very much like what you were describing as your free surfing syndrome, but yeah, interesting. Very cool. Um, and how old were you when you had this realization? Like when you're in this competition? Yeah, I was 16. And again, I didn't, I didn't know what psychology was, but I knew that my mind was not working in a way to help me. You were just freezing in competition. Basically. I, I, I couldn't think right in a way to be fully present and that fully present thing has come to matter a lot you yeah. know, to so many people. And right now, stress levels are an all-time high for people. And the reason is not because of the external world. The reason is because we don't have the internal skills to meet the moment. And the demands of the moment right now are pretty intense. Yeah. And they feel incredibly intense if we don't have, like I said, the psychological skills to be able to pivot and adjust and eloquently meet the next moment. Yep. And so how does that play out in everyone's everyday life right now? And it sounds like there's a pandemic within a pandemic. So how do you see that playing out and what are some solutions? So the external world around us is always changing. And um, we like to, our brains like novelty, but our brains also like pattern recognition and some semblance of normalcy. So it's a it's an interesting contradiction, but the world and this the model that we've been operating from has flipped on its head, and it's as if for the everyday living, it's as if the tide went out. Can we use another surfing metaphor? And the majority of us in working environments, you know, we found out that many of us weren't wearing clothes, and so like we feel like exposed, we feel like raw, you know, like oh my, and so. So there's no hiding now because the stress levels are so high. And what am I talking about? The hiding is that I, most people are struggling to meet the demands of the stressful environment that we're living in because we don't have the psychological skills. What do I mean by that? To be calm, to be grounded, to be present, to be confident, to be joyful, to live with purpose and meaning, as opposed to this other thing that's taking place, which is like fatigue, burnout chronic stress, low engagement. I mean, Morgan, 38% of employees across the States, we'll just talk about the States for a moment, are in report being engaged at work. Can you imagine if 60% of, you know, the team that I was with for a long time, the Seattle Seahawks that you mentioned, like if 60% of our athletes were engaged, we'd be laughed out of the league. Yeah. No one would, and, and by the way, who wants to live disengaged? Right. <laughs> Like we don't want that. And yeah. so anyways, I'm going on. Um, I just, this is an, this is the decade of the mind and there's only three things we can train our craft, our body and our mind. And if you want to live a life of flourishing, of exploring your own potential, then it, psychological skills training must be part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know you're not working one-on-one with people anymore, but say you were like, where would you start with someone who's one of these, you know, disengaged people today? Like what's the first thing you would address? So if we kind of double click under this beautiful science of psychology, the psychology of excellence, there's two basic camps that we would explore. The first is self-discovery and the second is psychological skills. So we start with like, who are you? You know, like really, what is your purpose? See how uncomfortable I got there? I was like, oh God, yeah, who are we? (laughs) This is a big (laughs) one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an ancient question. And then, but once you know who you are, 
and you understand your first principles in life. Nobody can give them to you, by the way. You have to say like, like at some level, like these are the ones that I orientate my life around, oriented my life around that once you know who you are, nobody can ever take it away. No external circumstance, you know, and if you don't have the psychological skills to be about it, that's a whole different question. Mm-hmm. So first rock to get in the container is what is your personal philosophy? What is your purpose in life? And when you use your imagination, what does the future look like for you? And so those are three on the self-discovery process. And then um, I'm going to be super clear. There's five factors that we work from. Okay. okay? So self-discovery, mindset skills that I was just talking about, psychological framework, which is, okay, well, how do you make sense of the world around you? Recovery practices, and then mindfulness. Those are the five factors we work from. And underneath each of those are a set of skills that you can develop. And so first click, self-discovery, psychological skills. Second click is framework, recovery, and mindfulness. Interesting. And this is all in your course, Compete to Create. Is that right? Is this kind of the outline of it? Well, you know what happened in that online course that you're talking about, the Compete to Create, is that Coach Carol and I, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, um, it was our heading into our first Super Bowl. And he comes flying out of his office in the training facility, music's blaring like it is on a regular basis. And he comes out and he goes, Mike, can you feel what's happening? Now he's a head coach of a national football league yeah. and I'm a sports psychologist. And he, and he says, can you feel what's happening? And he's not talking about the music. You know, that's just part of the fun of the culture. And um, I'm nodding my head because what he's talking about is, can, can you feel what's happening where there's 63 athletes that are alpha competitors. They're pointing their nose in the same direction. There's 25 coaches pointing their name, their nose in the same direction. And there's this electricity that's taking place where people are working together and they're extraordinary talented. And so I was like, I'm nodding my head and I'm like, yeah. And he says, without skipping a beat, he says, do you think anyone outside of sport would be interested in, in what we're doing? And I'm thinking, I'm looking and I'm thinking, and he goes, let's just write it down. So, so what he was talking about is writing down his best practices, my best practices, and what we were doing together. We put it on the back of a napkin. We shared it with Microsoft. You know, they were just at the transition of a new CEO, which uh, Satya Nadella is their current CEO. And we shared it with them and they're like, Hey, listen, this feels great. And so it is really about training the mind so that collectively we can be our best, so we can meet the demands of a stressful environment to perform well in life. And so that's where it started. And eventually to meet the demand of interest, we had to scale it into an online course. And so we've got, um, I think, our best stuff in there. And so uh, that's the course that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like working with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks? Yeah, it's great. I mean... I learned so much. I hope I added, uh, you know, equally as, uh, as what I've learned. And there is a progressive nature to that organization. Um, do things better than they've ever done before is one of our first principles. And um, it is a relationship-based approach, you know? So we start with connecting to ourselves, then connecting to each other, because there's a fundamental understanding that to go and experience the extraordinary to do things that have never been done and do it better than they've ever been done requires relationships. It requires a connection. And so what happens for most businesses and or 
um, sporting franchises at the beginning of the year, Morgan, I think you'll recognize this. It's like, it's, there's this vision setting, mission setting, doe-eyed, like, yeah, let's get it. Let's like, this is going to be a great season. And we lock our arms and we give some sort of hoo-ha, let's go. And it, you know, that's kind of the way stuff starts. And then as soon as it gets hard, we start to feel it, the stress, the pressure, people naturally will do something very predictable. They'll unlock their arms to save their own ass. And so what we need to do is get ahead of that, go upstream and say, say, you need to know yourself. You need to know your partners because when it gets hard, we have to stay together. And if you do that relationship-based stuff ahead of time, then we're more likely to stay bonded and connected as soon as it gets hard. And the greatest maritime, you know, ocean-based people, they do not pray for calm waters, Morgan, as you would recognize. They pray to test, you know, the strength of their anchor. And so in, in anything that's complicated and beautiful in business, the anchor is the fabric of our relationships. We can solve strategy. We can solve and pivot and adjust if we have each other to be able to, to bounce it off of and do the work together. Because the, the beautiful and extraordinary way of living, whether it's business or at home or sport, it's too complicated to do alone. And so yeah. we need each other. That's the simplicity of it. Yeah. We talk about that a lot with Primal Kitchen, like just how relationships are still the most important thing. And the end of the day, I feel like in this digital world we live in, like people just send a, an email and they've kind of forgotten like what you can actually get done when someone likes you. Like it sounds crazy, but it's, yeah, it's pretty transformative. So you've worked with all these like super high performers. How does one know if they're a high performer and how is that different from working from with someone who's not a high performer? Like what traits do these people have in common? Like talk to me about these high performers. I bet you know them. I bet you're living <laughs> them. I mean, you guys have built something special. And so uh, I'll start with the first axiom or fundamental principle is that um, the, the potential that's lying dormant inside most people is ridiculous. And so when I say most people, meaning that um, very few people are really pushing toward the edges of their capabilities. And so the untapped potential for most humans is uh, a very deep reservoir. So that's different than, so I have a fundamental belief that there's so much more inside of us. And so that's the first kind of pass. The second is, hold on, let me finish that thought. To access that, it is what I found, it's not working harder. It's not even working smarter. It's working from the inside out so that you can be present more often because why is being present so important? Because you get to the truth of something, you see actually what's taking place, and then you have these insights. And once you have insights, you're able to say, oh, that's how this works. And then, you know, then you can pivot and adjust. Now, why am I saying that? Because you asked a question about high performance, which is, how do you know? Well, the way that you know is based on the outputs and the strength of your relationships. So if you're performing in a way that you're seeing growth or you are learning, you know, that's the output, right? So um, that's one way to know. And the, but, but that in a vacuum is not enough because if you're the top dog and you're performing everything that you need to perform in your business or whatever, but people don't want to be around you because you're the high earner that's got a bad kind of whatever, that's not high performance. So it's somebody that contributes to an environment 
based on the relationships where people around them are better because of them and the output is ridiculous. You know, it's high. And so uh, having both of those, I think, is the hallmark of a modern high performer. Yeah. And going back to the relationships piece, like how do you build those relationships? Like at the beginning of the season, like what are those skills people would use in the workplace or maybe in their own family? I mean, there's all sorts of places you could take this. Yeah. So I, we start with the relationship with yourself first. And so that's, that's the first order of business. And most people really have not done that work. So what does that mean? Mindfulness is one of the key practices. And for the fidgety skeptic, you know, it's hard to get into it for the busy person. It's hard to do, but it is a ancient practice that's been around 2,600 years and science um, that's coming out of the laboratories is, I mean, it's phenomenal. The science that is, is taking place about the change that happens from our brain perspective, from our psychology, from our neurochemistry, it is a radical practice that I couldn't imagine. So I would say the first order business to start is with a mindfulness practice. The second is when you extend out from that and start working with others, it's as simple as knowing your philosophy. So let's call that step number two, and then sharing it with others and being curious about their philosophy. So I was working with, um, this is public, so I'm not going to share something that's not public. As a licensed psychologist, I want to make sure that that's clear. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Is that, um, and this was in his book. This was in Satya Nadella's book, um, the first six pages of his book. And again, he's the CEO of Microsoft. We're doing this work on philosophy. He stops his room, 16 people, 16 of his direct reports, call it the senior leadership team. And just for context, um, they have just under 200,000 people that report up to uh, Satya eventually. So he stops the room when we get to this idea of knowing your philosophy. And he looks around the room and he says, we have a real challenge. The world is counting on our technology and we need to get this right. And to do so, we need to know each other. So he says, I don't, Mike, I don't care if this takes like half of our day together. I want each of us to have the white space to get very clear about our first principles in life and then share it with each other. So that we can, when we go into those tested moments, we have a better sense of where we're coming from and what matters most to each person in this room. So we did that work. That would be step two and to be. So step two is knowing your personal philosophy, writing it down, being very clear, 25 words or less, and then sharing that with others and being curious about, you know, where they're coming from. So learning theirs. So that's step one, two, uh, A and B. And so what's it like a personal philosophy? Like, give me an example of one. Well, you have one already more. Okay? <laughs> like everybody has one because yeah. it's informed the way you, um, what car you bought, what car you didn't buy. If you bought a bike instead of a car, if what watch you bought or didn't buy, you know, the food choices that you make, whether you're choosing organic and or not, you know, like, so you already have a philosophy that's at work. And so, um, let me just give you, let me, let me play a game. What do you think the Dalai Lama's was? I don't know. You're putting me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Okay. <laughs> um, Dalai Lama, loving kindness, okay. something like that. Yeah. Right? Okay. Let's do Jesus. What do you think Jesus's was? Love. Love. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mother Teresa. Just one so, word. These are very simple. Yeah. Hey, how about it? You know, like, what do you think Michael Jordan's was? Winning. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Competitive fire, winning, like finishing, you know, like you could probably do the same for Kobe. You could probably do the same for LeBron, you know, yeah. like, um, what do you think that, um, Billie Jean King, you know, what, what would her philosophy be? Probably something about equity, probably something about, you know, having the privilege of in life to compete. You know, she's got that famous quote about um, pressure is a privilege. Yeah. It was obviously a game changer for inclusion and equity. So, you know, like I think people that are incredibly influential, we know their philosophy because, or we could guess at it, because they li- they have lined up their thoughts, their words, and their actions in every environment they go in. They line them up. So their thoughts are about, let's use Billie Jean King, just for an example. Um, she's thinking about like, no, let me not, let, let's go, let's go back to something more simple, right? Which is like, um, I don't know why I'm thinking about Jesus right now. Let's do that. Okay. Oh, so, Jesus <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's an, it's a pretty good model is yeah. that, you know, what he was thinking about is like, you need to love people. And, and his words were about loving and his actions were about loving people and everywhere he went, even when he, it got him killed. And I think we could hold the truth for Dr. King, you know, uh, Malcolm X, you know, um, fill in the blanks. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, you have one, you probably just haven't put it down into one to 25 words. Yeah. And the shorter, the more concise it is, the clearer it is for others to know what you're about. And then the clearer and easier it is for you to be about it on a regular basis. Now, once you get clear, the challenge is to go from clarity to conviction. So to be about it when it's hard to be about it. And what lives in between from clarity to conviction are mental skills. Because if you're clear of the woman you want to be, and you don't have the mental skills to be about it when people are rolling their eyes at you or they, you know, whatever, whatever the hostile, rugged, stressful environments are, it's only because we don't have the inner skills to be consistent with it. And I'm also talking about authenticity. Yeah. We trust people that feel authentic, that come from a logical place and are empathetic. And so those three factors roll up to trusting others. So there's, there's a couple frameworks that I'm playing with there that I hope that is not too esoteric, but no, I like it. It's, it's funny. Mark and I always said when when we were running Primal Kitchen, like at the beginning, we always said we had like a a strict no assholes policy. And like, if it wasn't fun, what was the point? So we kind of ingrained in the culture, like subconsciously this, like be nice to people, treat people with respect and like, let's just have fun, you know? We're here hoping to change the world's diet for the better. Um, But if it's not fun and we're miserable, like what's the point? So we better find a way to enjoy it. And I think that helped create, you know, a culture that we sustained years later. So it's interesting to think about. And as a a average consumer of your product, it feels like your brand represents that, you know, so if the heartbeat is right and what I'm talking about is the, is the philosophy is clear and then you live against that then the quote unquote brand extension of it is, uh, is authentic. But when we work backwards and we're like, what do we want our brand to be? And then, but we don't map personally onto it. It's, it's like a hollow Easter egg bunny, yeah. you know, it's holler. Yeah. Is it an egg bunny or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. It's like you poke it and there's nothing inside. Yeah. It's just, yeah, know. we see a lot of that for yeah. sure. Um, it's interesting. 
Yeah. So tell me, this is like a personal, I'm getting very personal here, but imposter syndrome. Talk to me about imposter syndrome. You, you recognize that too? Yes. I'm, I very much suffer from this. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> this like, is so I, selfish. Sorry to everyone listening, but I think this is an interesting one, especially for high performers who've had like, you know, we had a relatively quick success with Primal Kitchen. So I'm reading Elton John's autobiography and he talks a lot about how quick success kind of created almost in a sense, imposter syndrome in himself. And I could very much relate to that. So I'm just, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Um, one, as I say, welcome to the club. Yeah. If you're not leaning over your skis, going a little faster than you feel comfortable doing and wondering when it's going to fall apart and in imposter syndrome, the falling apart is, are they going to find out that I'm kind of out of control here? Like I'm making up as I go. And I know I'm supposed to be able to turn on a dime, but you know, I can't really do it right now. Okay. So this imposter syndrome is a fear of what other people will be thinking of me. And it's not necessarily a fear that it's all going to go away. It's like, they're going to find out. And so if you're not leaning over your skis, the way I just described it, you're probably not getting close to being a high performer. So when I say welcome to the club, I mean, like it's normal, it's part of it. And so it can also become one of the great constrictors of your potential is if you are over indexing on the fear of other people's opinions, FOPO. Mm-hmm. I like I, it. I don't, yeah. Right. I haven't fear. heard that one before. That's good. FOPO. Yeah. We've yeah. all heard of FOMO, fear of missing yeah, out. Yeah. FOPO. This is even more FOPO. important. Yeah. Okay. Fear of people's opinions is one of the great constrictors of one's potential. Yeah. It is, I, I'll go so far as to say it is, um, the most salient, most important modern threat. So no longer do we have a saber tooth. Most people are dealing with the stressors of um, being kicked out of the tribe. And I say that with great humility that like in in the United States, this last 18 months, we have 500,000 new homeless people. Most people's great fear is not being homeless but there are some people that are deep right on the verge of it right now. Yeah. And so most people's fear of being kicked out of the tribe for not being good enough. And it's one of the great constrictors of human potential. So how do you deal with it? Recognize it, nod to it, and then make a fundamental commitment that what am I going to give more attention to trying to not look bad or to being my very best in this moment. And this is why the practice of mindfulness is so important is because it is the practice of recognizing when you're away from the one thing that you're focusing on, call it your inhale or your exhale, and then gently quickly refocusing back to the inhale once your mind is quote unquote distracted. So that's kind of the one welcome, make it normal. Know that your brain is, this ancient brain is trying to sort out danger all the time, 11 to one ratio. So, So your brain is picking up 11 quote unquote dangerous things to the one thing that is safe. And that's the brain's, this ancient brain's job is to find danger. So when you're sitting and kind of thinking in a conversation, it would be an 11 to one ratio where it's going to find something dangerous in the conversation or dangerous when you're writing an email or dangerous when you're driving, like that's what it's supposed to do. Okay. So that's super helpful. We have this FOPO term, but what are the other things that are holding people back? Like the big things. I think that that is the biggest. The other is, um, I think people would be surprised about an elite sport, how much we prioritize recovery. And so 
people are tired right now. Like there's a fatigue that's taking place in modern work. And when I first popped my head seven years ago into elite business and big business, I was blown away that in, in elite sport, we spend so much time focusing on recovery because we know people are working towards their upper limits every day. So it is, it's just bad science and it's bad form to not make sure or to make sure sh- to uh, miss the importance of recovery. So in, in business, you know, which is where most people spend most of their time, it's just not talked about right. It's like this thing that you do extra, you do later on your own, where in elite, biz- in elite sport, it's part of the, the rhythm of the day. So getting sleep right, and this sounds like a bit of a record player that's broken, but it's so important. And I'm happy to talk about some best practices there. Yeah. But just, just as a note, like if you practice these best practices for three weeks and it still isn't working well, you might have a medical condition. And so it would be important and prudent to go get a medical workup to see if you've got a sleep disorder. Interesting. Um, and like then the sleep other apnea or insomnia or something. Insomnia. Like that. And there's lots of different forms, restless leg syndrome. It could be environmental. It could be. Um, the way you prepare yourself to sleep, your mind and your body and your brain, or it could be something medical. So if you want, I I can double click on that, or we can talk about something right down your lane, which is the importance of nutrition. Yeah. I think Uh, both of those give me your like top sleep hacks. And then I want to hear your philosophy on nutrition. Yeah. So um, seven to nine hours for, you know, 90% of the brains is average. And so again, like that's a lot of sleep. And most people are not getting consistency on seven. And so eight, there's a reason eight is such a popular number. Now, all that being said, here's some of the best practices. Get your eyes and your brain attuned to first light and last light. So as soon as you can on sunrise, get your brain attuned to it. So go outside. And again, we're not looking into the sun, but we're just getting our brains attuned to sunrise and sundown. So first light, last light, um, that helps to balance the circadian rhythm, uh, the part of our brain that is looking for, you know, uh, priming for sleep and wake. The other is making sure that uh, early in the day that we are cutting coffee and caffeine and teas or whatever stimulants that you're drinking by noon or two o'clock, somewhere in that range. We want to make sure that on the sleep side that we're getting ourselves at least 90 minutes to prepare to fall asleep. And there's a whole host of things that people can do there. But basically, we're destimulating our environment, turning down some lights. We know the science and the art of blue light, you know, so maybe there's some glasses or whatever, but just destimulating our environment, Turn, literally turning down lights is important, starting to flip off um, technology as much as you can. And um, then as you're kind of getting ready for bed, if you, the more routine you have, the better. And so if you pair your pillow with sleep, as opposed to reading or eating or uh, answering emails or whatever, like you prepare yourself when you get into bed, that it's time to sleep, your brain will pair that just like Pavlov's dog. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important part. There's a priming to get to that. And then um, if you don't fall asleep, this is kind of an interesting, most people struggle, they'll they'll fall asleep because they're exhausted, but then they wake up on the first or second cycle, which is 90 to 180 minutes later. And if you, if you wake up, and you can't get back to sleep, like kind of within a few moments, then you might want to start over. Let's call it like five to seven minutes. If you can't fall back asleep, you might want to just get up 
and go back to the priming, which is keep the lights off, but brush your teeth without toothpaste because you've had thousands of repetitions of when you brush your teeth at night, hopefully you do, <laughs> that you're, you, yeah. that's part of the readiness to get to sleep. Interesting. And then, yeah. The second way to maybe think about it is that, um, again, if you can't fall asleep or you wake up and you can't get back to sleep, if you don't want to get up, the worst thing you can do is kind of entertain, oh my God, I can't fall asleep. I got something to do in the morning. I'm like, you know, like, yeah. and your mind is, is thumping and, and running that way. Just put your feet to sleep. That's it. Just focus on putting your feet to sleep and then put your calf muscles to sleep. Again, if you're fortunate to have feet and calves, and I mean yeah. that sincerely, yeah. um, and then put your upper legs to sleep and then put your, your, your glutes to sleep and then put your back to sleep. And before you know it, you're like, forget about it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then the kind of whole thing just shuts down. So I do that are- one with my toddler. It's very helpful. Like a body man. Yeah. I'm like, I got to teach him this because no one teaches these poor kids. And then they're just stressed out all the time. So I'm trying to help him learn how to wind down, but I do like massages, but we start with the feet and talk about how thankful we are for our feet and playing and, you know, all those things. And then he falls asleep quickly. So, and now he says like, mom, can you do the body scan? He like, he really like looks forward to it. So that's a great one. I've been using that one for a while, but how old is your child? So he's almost three. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, um, it's now's a really good time to also introduce breathing. And you probably already have, but one of the ways you can do is kind of put like a, like a light stuffed animal on their stomach. And then, um, you just like, okay, let's, let's have it go in and go out, you know, just kind of up and down and while they're laying down. And so getting the breathing, uh, the connection between breathing and relaxing at an early age is really quite dynamic. Yeah. So I wanted, this was for later in the podcast, but I want to get into it now. Um, and then we'll go back to the nutrition, but parenting, like how has your parenting philosophy changed? You think as a result, or like, what are you doing that's different from other parents and how do you, cause you have kids, kid, child? I have one. Yeah. One. I have it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. I just turned 13. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. It's fun. The, um, I think the parenting bit is, um, one is everything that I just talked about. I'm working on living it. And so um, being present, I think, is a really important parenting uh, component, which is being fully present with what you're doing and who you're doing it with is kind of the biggest gift you can give another person. And there is so much that pulls your attention, my attention, adults' attention, you know, all the the worries of today, as well as the, the, the need to feel stimulated. And sometimes talking to a three-year-old or 13-year-old is not the most stimulating thing, you know? So, right. um, so being fully present when you're with them is a big gift to give them. And it, it does so much um, for their sense of worth and value and self-esteem and self-efficacy. And so the second thing is I, I only, only that's too strong of a word. The majority of my language is focused on um supporting and challenging him on things that he has control over. And so he's playing sport right now. And so when the car ride home is why most kids leave sport. Interesting. Yeah. Because the parents well-intended are talking about or celebrating things that are not totally in their control. Like I saw you score. That was so amazing. It's well-intended, but the score is not something that is 100% under their control. And so, um, and, or the critiquing, you know, is really the other part of that car ride home. Like, and 
smart parents are really slick. They're like, so when you miss that goal, you know, what was happening? Or, you know, like, were you tired? Or, you yeah. know, whatever. Like, it's super slippery. And kids are like, what the F are we yeah. doing? Here? Yeah, you know, like, totally. Rightfully so. And then the other parts of the conversations are like silence. Yeah. Pissed off about whatever. So the car ride home is really a great way to say things like, you know, I love seeing you try to figure this thing out. How, how was it out there for you? You know, or um, what'd you figure out? What was the most fun? What was the hardest part? And so you're talking about things that are ultimately under their control. Yeah. And if you're, if you do want to reinforce something, you say like, oh my goodness, in the third quarter, when you stepped on the gas and you were like, you ran down that ball, that was, that was like amazing. And it's a hundred percent under their control, their effort, their attitude. And now the way, yeah. And so that, I think that that's a really important thing. The second framework is that because I've been around the, literally the best of the best in sport and let's use sport for an example right now, the coaches and the athletes know how hard it is, how long it takes to get good at something, which means if you want to live a, a fruitful life, love some stuff that you do, love the way it feels to do whatever it is you're doing. They are not pushing their children. Yeah. They're the quiet ones on the sideline. You know, they know some stuff now yeah. and what they, what they know more than anything is this is a long game. Yeah. I want my child to fall in love with the thing that they want to fall in love with. And so that's a framework, you know, so I'm more on the sidelines kind of just kind of hanging out in the, in the back and yeah. um, just wanting to, love watching my child try to figure something out. Yeah. That's good advice. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Shut your mouth on the sidelines. Yeah. We all know that parent. Um, how does it come into like marriage? How does this play out? And I mean, I can't imagine being married to like a psychologist that just, Oh my God. Could you imagine if my wife were here, right wife, now. your poor yeah. wife, man. No, Can but she... how did, how does this help or, or hurt? I'm curious. Yeah. So, um, Early days, you asked this early in the question. I, I didn't avoid it, but I didn't answer it directly because you asked for what are the what are the traits or the skills of high performers? And I, I can I can go back to that, but I wanted to stay principle based first. And on the marriage bit, people ask me all the time, like, what are the traits of the greats? And I say, you know, and I used to answer it, and I, again, I will answer yeah, it. Yeah. Right now, it's like having a. Um, my wife is the reason that I'm able to kind of launch the way I launch and explore the way I explore. And I'm not saying that there's anything special about me, but it is the, it is the foundation of that relationship that pays dividends. And so I think that that's one of the core components for people is their community and their intimate love that they experience in their life. It's not the savage lone wolf. It is not that the yeah. lone wolf, as we recognize is the one that's been kicked out of the tribe. Yeah, so, for sure. So um, what's it like to be married? Uh, if she was here, she'd say, stop your cycle babble. <laughs> <laughs> She's Cuban and she, she gives me every ounce of the flavor of, you know, uh, I love being, it. I that way. so, um, but how does it pay dividends? I think um, again, being present is the one that we work on most. And so solving together is the second, you know, and it doesn't mean we don't argue, but we're working on being present and solving together as opposed to like being right. So yeah. Got to let go of that for sure. Okay. I have a few like just quick questions because I know we're almost out of time. Um, what are you most excited about that's happening right now in health and wellness? Like anything really? Uh, the, the conversation. You know, I think the conversation is people are fatigued. There's uh, chronic stress is a real thing. 
and they're looking for solutions. Um, for the big buckets are sleep, uh, nutrition, including hydration, but nutrition, um, moving well, and then thinking well. Those are four of the big buckets. And so people are looking for ways to feel better. And while the quick instant gratification of high sugar, high fat, you know, kind of thing is fading away now. People know that this is a, a game of stability and du durability. And um, so nutrition is part of it. So I, that's one of the reasons that I'm excited about it. You know, health and wellness is about micro choices. Yeah. And nutrition is a micro choice. Yeah. Mark always says your life's made up of like a gazillion little choices that add up over time and make a big difference. So give me your quick nutrition philosophy. Very quick. I mean, colorful foods, you know, Skittles and M&Ms and <laughs> excluded, <laughs> you, know, you know? And so, um, yeah, so colorful foods on a plate, that's a big deal for, for me and my family. And I see it with athletes, you know, that are, are switched on. Um, I'm much more interested in a, uh, a plan that can work rather than something extreme that kind of comes, comes and goes. Um, healthy fat is a big deal for us. Um, you know, quality protein. And so, you know, stuff that, um, is sourced well. And so organic wild, you know, stuff like what you guys are doing and, and basing your, your, your products around, um, hydration is a big deal. And so making sure that the cells are properly from a brain perspective, that the cells are, are, are watered well. And, um, I'm a, I'm a huge component of um, taking science and evidence and customizing and tailoring your approach. So the first basic is knowledge. And so getting with somebody that's very knowledgeable about nutrition level up is taking a blood draw to look at unique markers for your unique body. And then next level up is um, making some choices based on that next level up is having somebody support you in cooking for you. And that's kind of what happens in elite sport. There's nutrition and then all the way up to customized nutrition plans based on your unique blood draw. But for, you know, it sounds like a lot, but the dividend is ridiculous. It's like between 750 and $1,500 having a blood draw to look at exactly what your unique markers are. So you can make an informed decision on your life about what micro choices to make. Um, and I, again, it's a lot, but the dividends are, are Is there like uh, a company that's doing these kind of blood draws. You're just doing this through doctors. Like what are you, what blood markers are you guys looking for? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, Morgan, I know, you know, the answer, but that's, that's clever. Um, no, I, I mean, I know one answer, but I don't know if it's the same answer you have. I'm curious there's, if there's there, someone else I need to send my blood to, please tell me that's yeah, really, no. no. That, so uh, if you go to your typical MD, they do not look at the markers that I'm talking about, the performance nutrition based markers. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's things like ferritin, um, there's things like vitamin D most yeah. MDs don't look at, um, your omega profile, uh, you know, all, uh, I'm really interested in tryptophan and tyrosine because they are the precursors to serotonin and dopamine. So there's a host of things that we can look at nirvanic acid, oleic acid, and omegas are kind of the substrate that coats and helps your nervous system fire optimally. So um, optimal nerve, you know, uh, conductance is really important for brain performance. It's important for, for movement performance as well. So if you're low on oleic acid or nirvanic acid or omegas, the, the sheathing around your nerves is potentially compromised. So it's a, it's an easy upgrade there. So again, um, and then we look at things like um, that, what are the supplements that will support your nutrition? And most people, 
most people do need some sort of supplementation. Not all, but most people do. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a certain doctor you're working with in LA to do all this fun stuff that I need to know about? Yes, there's a couple. And um, I'm hesitant to give their name out right. because last time, no, last time I did this, it like it, it kind of broke their. their yeah. Th- and then they can't take any new clients. All right. I'm going to ask you for that offline then. Yeah. You're going to have to fill me in. But very, yeah. I'm sure any functional medicine doctor could do something like that. There's a really cool app called Zoe. I interviewed the founder of that company that they're doing like microbiome testing, blood sugar and blood fat response. And they're doing all these personalized stuff for people. It's $59 a month. So for someone who wants like a more accessible version of that, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting tool. Yeah. And your, your answer is correct. Most, um, most modern, um, practitioners from a health perspective, not traditional MDs, you know, they might not know this stuff, but uh, a switched on nutritionist or an RD yeah. that is in, in the nutrition world. Like if they're switched on, they're going to do that work. So you'd find someone local to you and um, inside tracker is doing a nice job as well, you cool. know? And so I don't know if you've seen them, but they're, they're yeah. doing a nice job. Okay. Well, we'll have yeah. to check them out. All right. Favorite books for people on this journey. Favorite um, ones that stand up for the ages. So kind of first pass is this, you know, the stuff that's been around for a long time. So I think that those are really interesting and I'm a fan of, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, like autobiographies of the greats. Yeah. I love those. You get a, a peek inside. Yeah. I think they're yeah. so good. And then I I'm, you know, mastery is a really important concept for me. So I want to study masters and that's why the autobiographies are really important. And the books that have been for stood up for ages, anything that's cool. really classic, you know, and yeah. then if there's something modern, um, Uh, you know, this is not necessarily modern, but um, Bruce Lee's writings on, on his philosophy are really good. I think cool. that there's a lot there to pull apart. I love it. Okay. Last one, because I know we're almost out of time, but um, what is something about you that no one knows or that people wouldn't know who are listening to this podcast? Um, when people eat and I can hear them eating, it is absolutely a skin crawler for me. Really? That's mm. like a, that's a problem. Like my pregnant friends have, I'm going to tell you that right now, yeah. like all my yeah. pregnant friends are like, Oh my God, if I can hear someone chewing, I'm going to throw up at this table. That's interesting. So there's your pet peeve. Now we know. So if we ever find you at lunch, we know to chew with our mouth shut. We got it. <laughs> yeah. You I know, it, it. It, it's a moment to practice, practice patience for sure, but yeah. there's an actual psychological condition. There's some people that are really sensitive to the, like the smacking and the sound of another yeah. person eating. And so I, I think I fit in that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like it. I have very, hey, Morgan, hey, Morgan listen, I know we're, I know we're up, but you, you can't just ask that and me not ask it in return. Like, Oh, what's something about me? No one knows. Let's see. God, there's like inappropriate stories. I probably shouldn't say on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my yoga certification. Hey, I lived in wow. South America for two and a half years off $10,000 mm-hmm. a year. And had like the worst reverse culture shock ever. When I came back, I was like 20 something. All my friends were, you know, spending like a hundred dollars at the bars every night in downtown Chicago. And I had been living off like a hundred dollars a month and I could not figure out how to get myself back into society in the U S I actually got involved with my dad's therapist from when he was my age. His name's David Roadhouse. He's in Chicago. He's Buddhist. I don't know. He's probably Wait, you were dating your dad's therapist? No, no, no. I got involved with him, meaning like I started seeing him as a patient. I'm joking. I'm joking. Not dating him. He's 70, like two. He's a professional triathlete, actually. He's like, he wins the senior triathlon competition every year. There's a lot of 
similarities. Um, but I started seeing him and that was like very, I would say transformational for me. He sees a lot of, I didn't, I wasn't at the time at the time I was unemployed living at home 25, but he, he see he has a lot of patients that are successful entrepreneurs like Richard Melvin, who started the, um, let us entertain you restaurant group in Chicago or the guy who founded two buck chalk. He's got a lot of like really cool clients like that. I don't, I just lucked out with this cool high performance Buddhist 70 something year old professional triathlete therapist who actually ended up marrying my husband and I, but yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Can you give everyone the lowdown? I'm sure they're dying to know like how they can absorb more from your intelligent brain. So how do people like find you? What can they get involved in? Give us the pitch. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the best place is the Finding Mastery podcast where we I have conversations with extraordinary minds about their psychology, their best practices. Um, so it's a Finding Mastery podcast is the best place to go. And then social is at Michael Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-I-S. And that's on all the handles. So those would be the best places to go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Appreciate your time. Thank you.